These aren't announcements. These are family updates. Um, I like doing them now instead of the beginning because there's, you know, uh, more people here to kind of update and share what's going on. A couple of quick things. Um, this coming Wednesday, the, the, uh, the people that we hired to finish off the front section of the Grace Impact Center will be here. And in two days, they'll pretty much put the floor down. Um, they'll put all the pads on the walls. They'll just, it, the place is going to look completely different. So that's really exciting, exciting news. We do need um, to save about 1500 to $2,000. They said if we had a few people helping out, um, that we would, they would help us. They would uh, you know, cut the price down. So if you're free on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday morning, uh, maybe give me a call this week and, uh, or see me after the service. We just need a couple more people. We have a few helping, but we could use uh, two or three more people to come out and help us kind of lay that floor. So if you have some time, that would be awesome if you could help out in that way. Also, uh, for those who signed up to support that project uh, on the board out here and committed to that, if you would, uh, either this morning or sometime this week, uh, stop by the church office and maybe give that pledge because they're expecting the rest of their payment on Wednesday, and I want to make sure we have the rest of their payment. I kind of stepped out in faith and said, yeah, yeah, come on out and do it on, you know, the mid-July. Um, we're, we're good. We're, we're close to it. We could use the buffer if we have to to cover some of that, but I'd rather not use it at all. We haven't touched the bu- buffer all summer, which is the first time we've ever done that. We have not touched the buffer and it's at this point in, uh, in the summertime, so it's really good. So continue to, to tie. That would be awesome. Take a lot of pressure off the rest of us. And uh, just please remember, if you have some time on Wednesday or if you made a commitment to follow through with that and we can pay them and we can get started then on the back of the building, which we're already moving on. That's happening. Our goal is to finish the entire front section and half of the back section by October, where we can then bring groups in to rent, use it for kids, um, kids leagues, adult leagues, all that for the church, a sports ministry. We're looking to hire someone to run that entire facility, um, summer camps, all those types of things. So we'd even like to use it longer term for a missions, a local missions um, opportunity like we have in Mexico and different parts of the world. Uh, so we're a lot of, a lot of vision behind what we're trying to do. A lot of things we can do once it's finished. So we want to keep, uh, keep you up to date on what's going on. That's, uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is you've been praying about, maybe you didn't hear me a couple weeks ago, so I'll update you. Um, through self-sustaining enterprises, we, uh, we wrote a grant to the USAID, uh, for $1.37 million, uh, to buy uh, more drilling equipment in Nigeria. We've drilled approximately 109 or 110 wells. It services about 90 or 92 or 3,000 people who have fresh water to drink now who didn't have it before. Another rig would oh, just be incredible. We spent almost a million dollars on individuals and churches and people giving money to drill these wells. This would be an incredible step forward for us in Nigeria because we take that $1.37 million and hire folks, uh, follow-up, you know, hygiene, training and hygiene, uh, making sure we have people going there, taking care of the wells, continually training people on how to use fresh water, not to go back to their old uh, nasty... These are boreholes, they're not really wells. A borehole is a a very deep well with a thin pipe that goes down and hits the, the clean water. A well is someone who gets down and just digs a hole until they find and hit water, but a lot of times the water is dirty because it's surface water. So, um, so this gives us a great opportunity. Here's where we are. It's gotten past the United States, which is a huge hurdle, okay? 
Now it's in the hands of the Nigerians, which you may think, oh, no, no, it's actually better for us because we have a lot more contacts in Nigeria who can make phone calls for us and tell them that we're a good organization, uh, kind of brag about the wells that we've drilled. We have not taken one cent from the government or from individuals sometimes in Nigeria because in a lot of ways you have to bribe people in order to get certain monies, and we refuse to bribe anyone. Um, for the wells. So this would be, imagine we spent a million dollars of our own money, not just this church, but all the churches around, uh, Vineyard, other churches have spent uh, large amounts of money drilling these wells. Uh, This would give us $1.37 million to enhance the ministry we already have that's terribly successful um, on the ground there. Real quick, uh, we we have... uh, uh, raised two sets of, we have a chicken farm there where we've sold our second round of chickens, about three or four hundred chickens, and the bridal shop is open and running. Um, so all these business trees, all the vision that we had and the dreams that we had are coming true. So please pray that God uh, intervenes in some miraculous way and that we get this $1.37 million because it would be our first attempt at a USAID grant and to even get this far is a miracle. So I'm, I'm, I'm reaching a little bit farther for the ultimate miracle. It doesn't happen. We'll get it later down the road, but please continue to pray. I just wanted to update on that, give you an update on that because it's so, so exciting. Um, All right, I'm going to take a step back and we'll continue our time of worship. Twelve twenty-five says, An anxious heart weighs a man down, 
but a kind word cheers him up. I can tell you, the older I get, the more I realize what a rare commodity encouragement truly is. You ever think about that? I think as you, as you age, you kind of think about these things even more, how uncommon it is to find people who will stand by your side through the ups and downs of life. I think a lot of you know what I'm talking about. Life is tough. It's really difficult. And you find it amazing sometimes that you would think that there's, you know, you have this person you've known for a long time, whatever else, and but then you go through a tragedy, you go through a difficulty. I was talking to uh, some people this past week, and they were telling me that, you know, they they were felt they were disconnected from the church for a little while. They've been coming, but they kind of were disconnected in different ways from their from their their life group or their 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 close friends. And the difference that it made, they were had to be engaged in some other activities. And got to know some people within those activities, but they said the difference between being engaged in the body of Christ and the people who are there and the people that we've invested in for years and being engaged in just kind of the general populace um, and just hanging out with people. It's a totally different experience. When you go through a difficult time, they said those people just are not there because life is tough and healing, refreshing words seem so hard to come by. You know the kind of words I'm saying where if someone really thinks through what they're saying and says, you know, you know, really speaks to your heart, looks you in the face and speaks to your heart. The Bible tells us in James chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take a ship, for example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, and it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea uh, are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. If our words are that powerful, then how can we use them to heal and not to harm? That's what I want to discuss this morning. How do we use our words to heal and not to harm? As we continue our series, Wise Up, I, I want to give you two ways Two ways that you can use your words to lift people up. Just two simple ways that I think we can all remember that we can use, that we can take with us to to encourage us to lift people up. First, when you speak words of encouragement, you help people find their true voice. You help people find their, their true voice, their inner voice. You help them find out who they really are. And you say, well, people will find out they don't need me. Yeah, no, that's not true. When we use words of encouragement, when we encourage one another, we help each other find our true God voice. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. That proverb is telling us that encouragement is good for, for emotional, for, you know, to help people emotionally. We know that. We know that without, without even reading the word of God, we know that words can help people emotionally get through all kinds of struggles. But what this proverb is telling us is it not only the words of encouragement not only help us emotionally, but physically and spiritually as well. 
I mean, you can be you can be transformed. Words can transform a person's life. Physically, emotional, spiritually. It can heal people. It's profound how our words have such a dramatic impact on the lives of those around us and our lives. You know, God wants us to encourage one another, but a lot of times we don't do that. And it's because, our, because of our sinful nature, we, we end up using words that harm instead of heal. You ever notice that? You know, we, uh, you know I'm not, not, not attacking anyone or putting anyone down. I'm just saying because of the sinful nature of, of, of humanity, it is so much easier to use words. They just flow out. They seem to just flow out so much easier. Those words that harm instead of heal. The, the words that wound others. Whether, it's, whether you're on the playground, at school, whether you're at work, you know, in the workplace... Even at home, it seems that, that negative words are everywhere. They just, they just seem to be permeating everything. You're so stupid. Why can't you just... You're too, you're too tall. You're too short. You're too skinny. You're too heavy. And on and on it goes. There's never a loss. There's never, people are never at a loss for saying something discouraging or belittling to someone else. And it truly is amazing because everyone knows what, it, what kind of impact it has on their own life when someone uses discouraging words. But lo and behold, they just seem to, to flow right off the tongue. Discourage, dis, dis, discouraging words, listen, silence a person's potential. They rob you of your purpose because they steal your confidence. Think about that. Discouraging words, discouraging words, they come along and they and they they rob a person's a person's purpose in life because they steal your confidence. If someone's telling you you're so stupid or you're so why can't you or, you know, just little subtle words of discouragement that people receive over and over year after year. Do you really think that person's going to feel confident to step out, that it's going to go deep within themselves and pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and, and step over and try something, try that new thing, overcome that fear, whatever it is, that fear that, they, that is keeping them back. Do you really think the person who's been belittled verbally, constantly negative message being sent their way, is going to be able to step out and do that? Usually, usually not. Usually, it, it basically shackles people. It imprisons them and doesn't allow them to fulfill the purpose for which they were created. We, we can have all the gifts and talents and abilities in the world, but without confidence, we will fail to become the person that we have been created to be. You have to understand how powerful your words are. You can remember... I don't need you to raise your hand, but you can remember in school that one teacher who should not have been teaching in the first place. She stopped enjoying teaching year two when she's there for 22 years. But you can you can remember the words when she calls you up to the blackboard and she said to you or he said to you, you know, when you got the thing wrong, sit down, stupid or whatever the case may be, and embarrassed you and belittled you in front of the entire class. And you still remember that. And if you think about it, it really begins to well up and bother you. 
that has a, had an impact on your life. So it doesn't matter how many gifts and abilities that we have if, we're, if we don't have the confidence to use them, that we're not going to fulfill the purpose for which we were created. That's why God tells us in Scripture to encourage one another. He says encourage one another and build each other up. In Romans chapter 12, it tells us to be devoted and to honor one another. In Romans chapter 14, it tells us to don't put stumbling blocks in front of other people. Don't put obstacles in other people's way. In Romans chapter 15, it tells us to accept one another, accept each other. You know, people are struggling. If a person doesn't measure up to your standards of coolness or measure up to your standards of ability in some area, or they're, they're whatever the case may be, not everyone is, you know, top of their game all the time. It says to accept one another, to encourage them. In Hebrews chapter 3, it tells us to encourage each other. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says uh, to to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Think about that. How, How do you spur one another on? You stand there and, you know, hope they by osmosis figure out what you're thinking. No, you use your words. You spur me. And I'll tell you, I never saw anyone. I, I was talking to a gentleman after the service was over and he, I think he was encouraging our, our, our band and just saying, I've never heard a band that good. Well, how do you think that makes the band feel? How do you think that makes the singers feel? If someone's saying, I've been to churches, I've been to huge churches, 10 times the size of Grace Chapel. But I'm telling you, that's the best band I've ever heard. And these, are, these people come together volunteering to do this and someone saying, this is the best band I've ever heard. That's encouraging. That spurs them on toward loving good deeds. Man, I'll tell you, I've never seen anyone who can do what you can do. I've never seen anyone who has the ability and that person takes one little step and someone encourages them and they're like, well, that, did, that wasn't so bad and they take the next step and then they get, oh boy, you're really good. Next up, oh boy, that person, they're walking with confidence knowing I can do this. I'm a living example of that. I've told you this before. Maybe you guys Guys, some of you, you've missed this story because you haven't been coming very long, but you want my greatest fear in life. And I'm talking fear. I'm talking like so fearful that you go, you can't think. You go literally almost blind uh, uh, with fear speaking in front of other people. When I was growing up, my goodness, because of discouraging words, not from my mom or my dad, but all along the way by different people in different places in my life, moving from different places, you get into a new environment, people are are really discouraging to a new person, and it made me shrink back and shrink back and shrink back. And the idea of stepping up and speaking in front of anyone or reading in front of anyone, forget it. I would rather put a, you know, it's like they say, most people would rather be, uh, rather be in the casket than speaking at the funeral. You know what I'm saying? The number one sphere in life is public speaking, which means you'd rather be the person in the casket than the person who's saying something. It, it just it mortifies people. It's overwhelming. How on earth do I then stand up here on, you know, in July 2011 and, and talk to you this way? How is that possible? Encouragement. Started going to church. People started telling me, you know, you have a really gift for this, or you, you're really good at that, or I really want to encourage you. I really want to, you know, you, 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 they would say, talk about passion and the heart that I have for others. Whatever the case may be, we all have the gifts and abilities. This isn't build up Jeff time. It's just basically telling. When you see something in someone's life, I was 17 years old, and people saw something that they verbally encouraged me. That was, uh, that obviously, that now what's happened all these years later God's given me the, allow these gifts and abilities to come out. That's what we have to do with each other. When you see someone do something, 
You have to encourage them, whether it's your children, or the person next to you, or the person at work, the person at school, encourage them. Because then they have the confidence to step out and do it. James 4 tells us, do not slander one another. In 1 Peter 3, it tells us, live in harmony with one another. The reason that we struggle sometimes at home and our home does not have harmony is because we've lost that intimacy because of the words that we keep speaking to one another. Our words are cutting. They're, they're nasty. They're cruel. They're un- whatever, unkind, whatever words you want to use, sarcastic, whatever the case may be. And it, and it keeps on tearing the harmony from the family. If you have that going on in your team, your team is not going to be successful. If you have it going on in your home, your home is not going to be successful. If you have it going on in the church, the church is not going to be successful. Harmony comes as we invest kind words in one another. Confidence in oneself comes not just from the inside. You know, go, go Google confidence, and it's like, I mean, page after page after page of, oh, inside, you got to grab inside, and all this kind of... And I, don't get me wrong, so, so you don't, we don't argue here. That is part of it, okay? That's part of it, I agree. But you know where you get even more confidence? When people around you invest in invest kind words or strengthening words or motivational words or, or whatever into your life. Confidence comes when I look at you and say, you are, boy, I tell you what, you, that is the most amazing. And you feel, you feel confident. You feel good. You got a compliment. Someone built into you, said, said something. So you gain confidence and then you move forward. Like I said, confidence not only comes from the internal, it comes from people investing in your life. Think about it. Think about it. You talk about, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. Spare me, okay? Think about this. Who was it that invested in your life and made you who you are today? Was it your mom or your dad? Was it your, was it your grandma or grandpa or your, your teacher, your coach? Maybe someone at work? Whatever the case may be. Someone invested in your life. Someone, someone made deposits into your life and helped you become the person that you are today. Notice I used the word investments and deposits. That's what we need to do. We need to think it through like you invest in other areas of your life. I want to invest in you. You should be wanting to invest in the people around you and the, in, the, in your children and your husband or your wife. And your, your mom or your dad, invest in them. Put in deposits, words of encouragement. Say something kind. Say something encouraging. Build them up every single day. Don't let a day go by where you don't say something that deposits words of encouragement into their life because other people are going to be withdrawing constantly. You're such an idiot. You this and you're, you're not this enough. You're, your body doesn't look like this enough. Your face or your nose or your ears or your hair or your whatever. You're constantly being told by a culture and by people around you that you're not enough. Who then is going to come along and counter that? If not for the people that are close to you, constantly making an investment and a deposit into your life. Making that difference. Do you want to you be confident? You know, they talk about confidence. How do you become a confident person? You want to be confident? Surround yourself with encouraging and positive people. Surround yourself with them. It, get away from those discouraging people who are negative all the time. They suck you into conversations where you're constantly feeling down. Sometimes you walk away and just want to wipe yourself off from some of these conversations you get into. 
Get, put those people, keep them at a distance and draw those people closer who are positive and encouraging. You want to build your confidence? Make sure, make sure that your children, if you can, are not around people within your family who are just discouraging. We all have, you know, my grandfather's long gone and we reconciled before he died and I was able to serve him while he was dying of cancer. I love my grandfather. I have good feelings now about my grandfather. But I'm going to tell you something. From birth to 30 or so, my goodness gracious. I mean, especially as a teenager, it was brutal to be around the man. I mean, he'd say, let's go fishing. I'd be like, yeah, going fishing with grandpa. He'd get me in the car and just berate me for absolutely no reason. He didn't, my parents were divorced. He didn't like my dad. And so, man, he was going to take it out on me. His words were constantly attacking and cutting and belittling. If you have someone like that in your child's life, you need to make sure that you keep that person away from your child because they're, they're investing negative words and, and negative, negative you know, impact in that person's life. And it's going to affect their confidence and what they'll be able to do for the Lord. You protect them from that. I go around hugging people on Sundays. People, that guy is always hugging people. Why is he always hugging people? You know what? You never know how long a hug has to last someone. That's one of the reasons. I've had so many times where people look me right in the face and say, uh, uh, guys, 17, 18-year-old guys cry right in my face and say, you have no idea how long it's been since someone hugged me like that and said that to me. I hug people and I say things to people because I want to encourage them. I want to build them up. I want to show them that someone loves them. Someone's thinking about them. Someone cares about them. A little hug goes a, a long way. Some people aren't huggy, and I, I kind of figure out who you guys are. Give you the, you know, the guys, I'll take, I'll shake your hands, I'll have my elbow right there and keep it in your chest and pat you on the back. You know what I mean? It's a nice distance. You know what I'm saying? I get it. I get it. It's okay. And women, I'm just going to shake hands. I get But I do that because I want to encourage. God wants us to encourage one another. You know, and we, we forget that sometimes we see people doing things we just forget to encourage. You know, someone here this morning, I just want to give a, just a quick encouragement to, and he doesn't like this at all, so we'll do it quickly. But uh, I'll tell you a quick little story. Uh, my friend Phil, Phil Hess, who's out here, does the coffee every Sunday for the last like nine years here at Grace Chapel at least. Um, known him for, I've known him for, gosh, it's probably going on 17, 18 or more years but he's out there every Sunday morning quietly doing his job, making sure everything's set up, making sure if you need coffee or if you need a cappuccino or whatever, he gets the whole thing set up. Now, obviously, there are others. I'm just sharing. I'm just encouraging him this morning. I just want to say this about him. I know there are other people love you as well, and one day we'll embarrass you as well. Um, but my son came to me and said, you know, he said, Dad, Mr. Phil, this is when he was six years old. He's seven now, but when he was six, he came to me and said, Dad, Mr. Phil, he does a lot of work in the church. He, he said he serves, but no one gets to see it. He serves, and people don't see it all the time. And Phil's obviously serving. He doesn't get paid here. And Josh looks at me, he says, and we're, he straight face looks me right in the eye and says, Dad, I'd be paying him a lot more than you're paying him, is what he told me. <laughs> sure you would. <laughs> he was dead serious. He calls one of our elders the garbage man. Okay, you know what an encouraging compliment is to be called a garbage man? You know why he calls him when he was five years old? Four or five, he started calling him the garbage man because he goes around and picks up garbage around the church. Brent does that. And Josh calls him the garbage man. What an encouragement. But I wanted to say to Phil, Phil, where are you? Are you in here? I can't see. Phil, if you're here, stand up. Okay, just stand up because I want to recognize you and...
you know, I, I want to I want to publicly say I love you, Phil. I really do. From all the bottom of my heart, I love you as a brother in Christ. You are a friend. You are a servant. I don't have to worry about the air conditioning or the heat being off, whatever time of year it is, because Phil's one of the first people here, and he is the last person out. He turns all the lights off, turns all the air conditioning off, makes sure everything's closed up and tightened up and everything else. I don't have to worry about any of those things because of the servant that he is. His nickname, and he probably knows it by now, but his nickname for all of us and the staff and people like elders is Faithful Phil. That's what we call him. If you say Faithful Phil, everybody on staff knows what you're talking about. Everybody in, in a, every church needs a faithful fill. And the reality is there's a lot of faithful fills around people serving, but no one encourages them and lets them know how much they care. I know you all think it, right? Honestly, don't you ever think of, wow, well, he's here all the time. We think it, but we need to consistently, we need to say it to each other. The second way we lift uh, someone up is to show unconditional love. We need to show each other unconditional love. And that means to verbalize it. Tell the other person how you feel. Men, I love you. Okay, I'm just going to say this real nicely so I don't come all passionate about it. But men, some of you say, well, I'm not very good at verbalizing. I'm not very good at saying it. I love you. I'm going to say this. Tough. Okay, tough. Okay, spend some time in a quiet room with the Lord and help him help you verbalize it. Someone really close to me said that their mother didn't tell them, this is a relative of mine, said that their mother didn't tell them, didn't tell them that they loved them until they were 50 years old. And he finally took his mother's face in his hands and he looked her right in the eye and he said, I love you. And she was like, mm-hmm. and he said, uh, Mom, I love you. And then he, he would not let her face go until she said it back. And she said, I love you too. 50 years. Now that's an extreme example. But it had an impact in that person's life, a profound impact in that person's life. Parents, say you love your kids. Tell your daughter how awesome she is. Tell your son how proud you are of them. Verbalize it. I know it's hard, but, you know, decide what you're going to say in your head. Look them in the face and just say it. Okay? They're going to remember it the rest of their lives. They're not going to remember maybe two Christmas presents you ever gave them, all the stuff we give. But you know what they're going to remember? Those words. That you say will have a profound impact on their lives. It is so easy to get angry and let the words just fly out. But how often do we stop and consider how we can encourage each other in Hebrews 10, how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds? How many times do we just stop and think about it? Do we say, Lord, you know, let me say something kind or I need to rem- I need to be reminded to say something kind. In Proverbs 15, 4, it says the tongue that brings healing. Listen, the tongues that the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. It brings life, but a deceitful tongue, a critical tongue, a sarcastic tongue, whatever you want to use, crushes the spirit. Cru- didn't say makes people upset or um, bothers them for a few days crushes the spirit. Sticks and stones to break my bones have never, never heard me. Give me a break. Hit me with a rock. Hit me with a stick. It'll go away. Okay? Say something profoundly mean to me that hits me right in the heart. It will crush my spirit. I'm not sure how long, but you know I'm talking the truth here. It crushes the spirit. Proverbs 25:11. we read, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Showing unconditional love, my friends, also means that we need to stand by the person's side, 
we need to be standing by each other's side, egging each other on, encouraging each other, and spurring one another on. No matter what you're going through in life, if you know that someone is standing by your side, you can make it through. No matter what it is, you know you can do it. Think about it. Think about having someone stand by your side. What would Moses have done without Aaron? What would David have done without Jonathan? What would Joshua have done without Caleb? I mean, you know, Moses sends the 12 spies out. Joshua and Caleb are two of them. Take, take Caleb out of the picture for a second. Now, Joshua is a man. He's a, he's a man, but let's well, just use it for a second. Or take Joshua out of the picture and just Caleb goes out there. Um, you know, they, they have personalities, strong personalities, but man, you have 10 other people saying, you're an idiot, what's wrong with you? You're not seeing the right thing. Don't listen to him, Moses. Maybe your confidence is going to be a little, you know, discouraged. You're walking back to camp and 10 other guys are saying, holy mackerel, there are giants in that land. Oh, they, we look like grasshoppers. And, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, I, didn't, I, I, I saw something different, but everyone's against me. But when you put two people together... Caleb and Joshua together, it's like the rest of you are, you know, whatever's, you know what I mean? Knuckleheads, that's a good way to put it in a sermon. You're, you're, you're a bunch of knuckleheads. We don't care what you say because they're together. There's two of them. There's two of them. What would Joshua have done without Caleb? What would Moses have done without Aaron? They had each other. And when you have each other, it makes all the difference. When you're under pressure, when you're under attack, one person can't hold up for very long, but two or three people can really take their stand. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, it tells us, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls down and has no one to help him up. Also, If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There's a reason why people say to each other, it's you and me against the world, baby, or it's you and me against the world, friend, when they're going through a crisis. When we're in a crisis, you don't want to be standing there with your hands in your pockets all by yourself. But if you got one other person, you got one other person giving you verbal encouragement, standing by your side, just one other person. It's like as long as you can say it's you and me against the world. Right. That's why we have that phrase. You and me. I need one other person. The rest of the whole peanut gallery can fall to the face of the earth. As long as we're together on this, as long as we're as long as there's two of us in a class in school and the teachers going after us verbally about our faith or whatever else or the other students, as long as there's two of us sitting next to each other, man, it's you and me against the class. It's you and me against the school. It's you and me against the world. There's two of us. Having other people by your side verbally encouraging you is powerful stuff. Listen to me. We need one another. More than some of you will care to admit, we need each other. I personally need someone to tell me we can get through this. I need someone to tell me no matter what happens, I'm going to be by your side. I need someone to tell me that, that if you fall, I'm going to be there to help you up. I need someone who's going to tell me whatever battle comes, whatever, we, whatever we battle we go into, we're going to face it together. I need people by my side who are going to tell me, tell me, verbalize those things to me so I can keep moving forward. In the movie A Nice Tale, William is pretending, he gets caught pretending that he's a knight and he gets thrown into the stocks and he is uh, to be verbalized verbally humiliated by everyone else around him, but there's something that he has that can keep him going.
Leave Roland. Let them have me. God love you, William. So do I. Go! Despair! Or I will fall you! I will fall you! I will rip your fist down blind! Stick my fist in Pain! Lots of pain! Trying to hide who we are, both unable to do so. Your men love you. If I knew nothing else about you, that would be enough. But you also tilt when you should withdraw. That is nightly too. Release him. God wants us to love each other, to support each other, to be there for each other. He wants us to encourage each other. Why is it so important to God that we do that? Because he's a nice God and he wants us to be nice to each other. That's not, that is not the answer. Why does God want us to encourage each other this way? Because he knows the person who is loved and encouraged is more competent. The person who is loved and encouraged is more compassionate. The person who is loved and encouraged is more confident in themselves. God knows that. Love gives people the strength to do things that they didn't know they were capable of doing. A person who knows they are loved overcomes their limitations. A person who knows their love can overcome their fears and live bold lives for God. They can overcome the abuse they went through in the past. If you love someone enough, the only thing I've ever seen that can overcome a harsh physical abuse or, or kind of sexual abuse or something in someone's life is having someone around you who loves you and loves you and loves you. I have seen love conquer all kinds of ills all kinds of issues in people's lives. A person who knows that they're loved and a person who is verbally encouraged is capable of doing anything for God. God has given you that purpose. He's given you that, that meaning. God has infused in you something he wants you specifically to do. And if we're encouraged and we're loved, we are able to do that. A church where the members of the church feel encouraged, 
can do damage for the kingdom of God. They're an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God. If we encourage each other, if we're supporting each other, if we're loving each other, there's nothing we are not capable of doing. No matter how large or small the church is, there's nothing we aren't capable of doing as long as we are standing by each other's side. Why do you think Satan loves divisiveness so much? Why do you think he loves, why do you think he loves it when, when people have a critical spirit? Why do you think Satan loves a critical spirit? Why do you think he loves misunderstandings and bitterness and gossip and, and slander and discouragement? Why do you think he loves that? Why do you think he hates unity? Why do you think the enemy hates unity so much? Because he knows if he can discourage you, he can render you ineffective. He knows if he can discourage you, you're going to be ineffective. You feel hopeless. You feel helpless. You stop dreaming. You stop praying. And he knows it. He can discourage you. You sit around. You're, you feel depressed. You feel overwhelmed. And, and he led, he's rendered you completely ineffective. Your passion is gone. Your purpose goes unfulfilled. If he can't drag you to hell and he knows you're going to heaven, what's the next best thing? To make you completely ineffective on this earth. To shut you down. To stop you from doing what he knows God has created you to do. Whatever it is. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything, but he knows you're created for a specific purpose. He knows there are no mistakes. If he can shut you down, then that's a victory. That's exactly what some of you are feeling right now. You're feeling shut down for whatever reason. You're feeling shut down. You're feeling empty inside. He's got you pitted against your husband or your wife. He has you arguing with your best friend. He's planted seeds of doubt in your mind when there's someone that you want to trust. There's a person you want to trust, but he's planted those seeds of doubt in your mind so you, you keep that barrier up, you keep that wall up, you keep that wall of protection. God gave us, Jesus gave his life for us to set us free so that we can encourage each other, we can bring unity to the body of Christ. Let me tell you what I think encouragement looks like in the body of Christ. Let me tell you what I think encouragement looks like within the church. It's a place where people can come as they are, but where they can be encouraged to be more than they were. I came to church as I was, a grubby, long-haired, foul-mouthed person. They accepted me for what I was, but you know what? They encouraged me to be more than I was, more than I was before more than I thought I could be, that constant encouragement. It's a place where people can make mistakes, but grace, grace is not in short supply. It's a place with no, no racial or ethnic or, or social ba boundaries where we can come together in love in our, in our, in our, in our small groups, in our, in our church, in our men's and women's ministry and, and, and youth ministry. And regardless of what your background is, you can be loved and encouraged and accepted and built up. It's a place where masks are not welcome, but where humility and vulnerability and honesty and grace feel right at home. That's what the church looks like when it's unified. It's a place where people can be renewed and restored and refreshed, but that starts with words. You are welcome here. Let me help you overcome this addiction. 
I want to be by your side, calling people up on the phone, meeting them early in the morning, encouraging them when they're just when they're going through a difficulty, letting them talk out the abuse in their lives, saying I love you, giving them hope for the future. All those things help people become the person that they were created to be. The body of Christ, Christ calls us to be his body and he wants us to be healthy and he wants us to be strong. He wants us to sacrifice for each other and he gave us an example by giving his own life. This, this discussion, Proverbs, it's a theme throughout the book of Proverbs. It's not just in one ear and out the other, my friends. Think about the spiritually profound impact we just described here this morning. How your words, let me give you just something to, to think about here this week. I think it'd be really encouraging if you, you, a brother, if you have a brother or sister that you think through what you want to say to that person. You go to that person this week. You look them right in the face and they're going to go, oh, and they roll, maybe they roll their eyes and go, oh, I can't believe it. Doesn't matter what they say. You say it. You tell that person what they mean to you. You tell that person how gifted they are in this area, how much you appreciate. You find something positive. Because I tell you what, they'll remember that. They'll be 30 years old at Christmas and you'll be meeting together and they'll say, you know what, this sounds really goofy. But that time that you came to me and you said such an... I, I've remembered that my whole entire life. I really... It's something I've always remembered and cherished. It's because all the mean things you said over the years are all piled up. That'll be the one thing you say that. No, I mean, it's so important. Your husband or your wife, think of something kind and encouraging to say to them. The waitress or waiter in the, in the restaurant you're going to go to afterward, maybe she's, I mean, you can see in people's eyes that they're almost dead sometimes. They're going through something horrible. So you seem, you look, seem kind of tired. Is there anything, you know, oh, yeah, my daughter, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, hey, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to, you know, what's your name? I'm just going to pray for you. And if she'll let you, pray for her right there. Don't, don't go home and do it. Pray for her right there if she'll let you or he'll let you. It's a free country, okay? Don't be afraid to pray for people. It's not against the law to pray for people who are accepting of your prayers. God wants us to, to use encouragement to change the lives. To tr- Words transform people's lives. I'm raising my hand. Words of encouragement have transformed my life. Simple as that. They have transformed my entire life, changed my personality, and helped me become the person I am today because of the encouragement of my mom, who I grew up with, and then as a believer in Jesus Christ, especially those people in church who encouraged me to become the man that I am today. Here at Grace Chapel, the best place to find that kind of encouragement is in a life group. As we close this morning, I just asked, Matt and Amanda to come up and just share for a couple of minutes how their life group has truly impacted their lives throughout the throughout the days and uh, it's been. Come on up, guys. Let me get you. Not only just 
on the receiving end, but also to be able to, um, hopefully we were able to encourage, be an encouragement to someone else. Amen. So. Yep. Yeah, um, I really feel it came at the perfect time for Amanda and I. Just, um, you know, I said this before, we, we've come, we've been going to Grace for seven years now, and so we recognize a lot of faces, but I don't know if anyone can, can relate to this, but we didn't really know very many people that close. So this was great to get into a smaller environment um, to where we could open up and share with the people about our lives and, and just get to hear what's going on in their lives. And, um, uh, you know, I also joke, you know, we, we all have a signed seat here at Grace. We always sit over there. Um, <laughs> I think it's kind of habit to do that. So, you know, this side of the church is like a foreign country. So, um, it was good getting involved and getting to know people. And, and like I said, it was a perfect time for us just having a two-year-old and a five-month-old Amen. Yeah, they they um they said something. Yeah. They said something. I'm going to close off with this. They said something really important. You know, people say, "Well, I don't need a life group because I don't need anybody to blah blah blah." But you know what? Maybe the life group needs you. Maybe that group, that small group, needs you uh, to come there and be the encourager. It's not always about what I get out of it. It's about what I give to it. And uh, maybe you being there and encouraging others uh, is what God is really calling you to do. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. And Lord, I just come before you right now as a pastor of this church and pray, dear God, that you would, through the lives of others, through my own life as staff, but through the lives of other people within the church, even outside the church, Lord God, that, that the people here in this room would be encouraged, be supported, that people, other people would invest, would make deposits of encouraging kind words into their lives with all the discouragement that's around, Lord God. I pray that we as the body of Christ would encourage and build each other up. And that, Father, as important as that, that we would be encouragers, that we would encourage one another on toward love and good deeds, that we would motivate each other to help each other become the person that we were created to be. Father, do not allow us to be the person who says the words that make people feel so discouraged that we, we, we steal their confidence and we keep them from becoming the person that you want them to be for your kingdom. Help us to be mindful of these things, Lord God, and put your words of encouragement into our hearts, knowing that you're a God who loves us who died for us, who's given everything for us so that we can follow you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great, great week.